Today on Blue 58, it's always interesting when you get to play a team a second time. What's changed? What's the same? How have their two paths diverged since last time? That's what we get this weekend with the Packers take on the Lions in Detroit. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Before we talk Lions, an announcement. Uh, Polling is now active for our 2020 charity drive. So we've got four charities for your consideration uh, now in a blog post at thepowersweep.com. I will include a link in your show notes. So go take a look at that. Take a look at the four. Decide which of the four you think we should support. Uh, The four are the Adrian Amos I'm Still Here Foundation, the Mercedes Lewis Foundation, the Vince Lombardi Cancer Foundation, and a group called Give Directly. I think any of those would be a good option. So whichever one you prefer is, is the one that we'll support. And then we've got We'll, we'll try to kick that off next week and then uh, run that through Christmas and the end of the year, um, hopefully to do some good for some people who could use it. Uh, in the meantime, let's talk the, about the Detroit Lions. The Lions and Packers have gone in two very different directions since they met in Week 2, and we'll talk about that Week 2 meeting here in just a second. Uh, but they played in Week 2, and the Packers came out on top 42-21. to 21. The Lions actually came out of that game doing fairly well. They won three of their next four, but have sort of been in a slide in the back half of the season. They've lost four of their last six and now sit at five and seven as they prepare to welcome the Packers to uh, to Detroit. I mentioned a, a couple weeks ago this was a game that we were going to actually try to get credentialed for and covered in, cover in person. The Lions are much more permissive with their media credentialing than uh, than the Packers are, and that would have been a really cool opportunity, but alas, uh, perhaps next year. Let's talk about the Lions' offense taking on the Packers' defense. We've got some interesting things to talk about related to the Packers' defense, but let's figure out where the Lions are on offense first, starting with their quarterback. This will be Matt Stafford's 20th start against the Packers, and it's kind of been that typical boom or bust year for Stafford statistically. I had a lot of good things to say about Matthew Stafford last year. He was having probably the best year of his career until he uh, got had an injury and missed the rest of the season. Real bummer for him. Uh, probably ended up being good for the Packers because that was one more opponent that was kind of taken out down the stretch, but he was having a good year, not so much this year. Again, Kind of back to that boomer bust Matt Stafford uh, tendency. He has four games this year with a passer rating of 100 or more, but also four games with a passer rating of 80.4 or fewer, and I realize or or less. And I, I realize that passer rating isn't the be all end all, but uh, it's it's a generally pretty good barometer for at least are you playing semi competently. And games that you're putting up a rating of 80.4 or less. Three of those games were in the 70s are, are pretty safely not good games for Stafford. The raw numbers are fine. He's 271 of 428 passing this year, 63%. Uh, he's thrown for almost 3,300 yards, has 21 touchdowns and nine interceptions so far this year. The advanced stats paint him again as pretty middling quarterback this year. Eight, uh, 16th in uh, yards above replacement, according to Football Outsiders. 18th in DVOA. So the volume stats, again, middle of the pack. Uh, Per play efficiency, just a little bit lower than the midpoint of the pack. According to Sports Information Solutions, he has the seventh worst catchable ball percentage among quarterbacks with 200-plus attempts. Uh, He's 74.4% 
of his throws this year have been deemed catchable. The leaders is, is Drew Brees at just over 83%, and Aaron Rodgers is just over 78%, just for comparison there. Um, but the, the, the caveat there is that Stafford is actually throwing deep at a pretty high rate, even for him. Uh, he's tied for fifth in the league in average throw depth at 8.4 yards. The leader this year on 200 or more attempts is 9.3 yards with Drew Locke in Denver. Aaron Rodgers is averaging 7.9 yards, even down a little bit from where he was earlier this year. This number is the second highest for Stafford in the last six years, way down from where he was last year. He was at 10 last year uh, through eight games. This tells me that his catchable ball percentage is probably dipping a little bit because he's going deep a little bit more often. Now, Aaron Rodgers, though, goes deep pretty often, too, and he's completing and uh, throwing more catchable balls than Stafford, but that's kind of just the difference between Aaron Rodgers and Stafford. Stafford, I think, still a dangerous quarterback, dangerous in part because he's a veteran quarterback. Uh, we've seen the Packers have trouble with that under Mike Pettin on a couple occasions even this year. And so that is something that we should be aware of. So where are the are the Lions strong? On offense, I think it comes down to tight end. And really, this is just a volume stat sort of thing. But TJ Hawkinson is having a productive 2020. He is first on the line in catches, second in yards, second in receiving touchdowns. He has 12 explosive plays so far this year. He hasn't been super efficient, though. The advanced stats don't love him. He's in the middle of the pack, though, and that's pretty good. Uh, For a second-year tight end, if you're looking at the tight end aging curve, the future is probably pretty bright for TJ Hawkinson. He also seems to be operating a little bit closer to the line this year, looking at the numbers. His his average depth of target is down about a yard from last year. So they're trying to get him more involved, closer to the line of scrimmage, and that probably explains the the middling efficiency. It's more efficient to get bigger chunks of yards if you can this is somebody the Packers, I think, are going to have to be aware of this year, especially or this week, especially with Raven Green hurting. Uh, they're going to have a little bit of a question mark when it comes to who takes over the, uh, the responsibility of covering a tight end. And that's something the Packers haven't done particularly well, no matter who they have on the field. As long as it's not Will Redmond, though, I will be fairly happy. So where are the Lions vulnerable then? Pretty much everywhere, unfortunately. The only running back they have who's averaging more yard, more than four yards per carry is DeAndre Swift. He's also fairly productive in the pass game, so file that away in the back of your mind. Their offensive line is pretty meh. Their receivers are pretty good generally, but they've been hurt. And Kenny Galladay in particular is hurt and doesn't look like he's going to play this weekend. So their biggest weapon outside of Hawkinson in the passing game is not going to be a factor, which is good because Galladay tends to play pretty well against the Lions. So what do the Packers need to do? I think this is just a don't screw it up type thing. Generally speaking, this is a don't screw it up type game. The Packers are considerably considerably better than the Lions on offense, on defense, and matching up their offense with the Lions defense and their defense with the Lions offense. The Packers are just better. And so if the Packers just keep things headed in the right direction on defense and don't get in their own way, they should be just fine. Now, you can't always entirely count out the Packers getting in their own way, but they've been playing or they've been doing a fairly better job of that. In fact, I think the the job of getting in their own way has shifted from the Packers defense to the Packers special teams, but that is a, that is a discussion for another day. Related to the Packers defense, Kevin asked a good question on YouTube this week. He said on Acme Packing Company, there was a piece about the defensive players going to Mike Pettin and asking to change it up. I wondered what your thought was as to the 
The polling, uh, as the polling, rightly so in my view, seems to grill the defensive coordinator. So Kevin has a good point here. The polling for Mike Patton has not been great. We'll get to that here in a second. But the story was late last week that Zadarius Smith and a couple other members of the Packers defense had gone to Mike Patton and just said, hey, can we we simplify this a little bit? And I do have a few uh, thoughts on this. Uh, First of all, a lot of credit to the Packers defensive players for doing this. Um, I recall a story... Uh, well, not so much a story as just an actual video from practice, one of those mic'd up segments uh, from early in Packers training camp in 2019. Zadarius Smith comes up to to Matt LaFleur. I think it was LaFleur wearing the mic. And uh, and Smith says to him, hey, everybody's uh, kind of low energy today, Coach. Can we, do, can we do something about that? And LaFleur just kind of looks at him and says, you're a leader. You do something about it. And here's Zadarius Smith doing that again. Uh, he's being vocal, he's playing well on the field, and he's asking for changes and giving specific direction as to what changes he thinks need to be made. And of course, there's a fine line for players doing that, but I think Smith is a smart enough guy that he knows where that line is. Secondly, credit to Petten for apparently listening. Um, Mike Petten, for his faults, I think is a pretty pretty thoughtful guy. Uh, I would commend to you again the book Collision Low Crossers, uh, about a year with the New York Jets football team when Petten was a kind of uh, Rex Ryan's right-hand man there on defense. Mike Petten thinks about things. He he cares about what people think. Uh, he cares about why people think the way that they do. And I'm not surprised that he listened here. And he did apparently simplify the Packers defense. And I think as a third point, this shows that our theory about the Packers to this point of the season being less than the sum of their parts on defense is true. We saw how they played against the, the Eagles, and some caveats there. The Eagles aren't the greatest team in the world. They have some serious questions at quarterback on the offensive line and so on. But the Packers played pretty well on defense, and they've been playing generally fairly well for a while. Um, there are some concerns there too, but this is an offensive league too, so things are always going to be tilted away from the Packers' defense. But the Packers, to this point, until they've started playing a little bit better recently, until Petten has straightened things out a little bit, um have not been playing up to their talent level. I think that's fair to say. But I think it is clear that there are good players on the Packers' defense, and I think this shows the strength of the Packers' defensive core a little bit. They have good players in Zedaria Smith, Kenny Clark, and Rashawn Gary up front. Preston Smith can still be feisty at times. Uh, they're not so much at linebacker, but there are good players in the secondary. Jair Alexander, Darnell Savage is playing better, better and you know I'm, I'm a fairly big fan of Adrian Amos and the things that he does on the back end of the Packers' defense. There are good players on the Packers' defense, and I think this shows that they have the ability to straighten things out. And I, I circle back to that quote that we dropped into the show a few weeks back of Richard Sherman talking about the Cowboys' defense. Uh, Chris Collinsworth asked him, what do they need to do? Um, and he, Sherman said, get back to fundamentals. And that sounds like a cliche, but that's, that's not always a super easy thing to do. If you try to do too many things on defense, where are your fundamentals? And I think the Packers have shown the ability to play fundamental football at times. They can get back to doing some simple things, just rushing the passer, uh, mixing in occasional pressure and playing man coverage, the Packers should have enough talent to get by doing stuff like that. And sometimes I think Petten, as thoughtful as he is, overthinks things a little bit. Uh, so credit to the Packers players for going to Petten and doing this, and credit to Petten for listening. We'll see if that continues to bear fruit over the next few weeks. Unfortunately, we're not going to really see it. 
a defense worth testing that theory or an offense worth testing that theory against for a while, uh, probably till the playoffs. But uh, perhaps that's a good thing as well. The Packers' offense against the Lions' defense. Where are the Lions strong? Okay, strong is going to be a relative term here. Here's why. The Lions' defense is bad. Uh, They are 29th by passing DVOA. They are 28th in that same metric for rushing. They are 31st in scoring defense. They are 28th in yards. They are 30th in passing yards per attempt allowed. 19th in rushing yards per attempt allowed. So if you point out any strengths on the Lions' defense, it is an extremely relative term. They are not particularly strong. Anywhere. Here is one thing, though. 44% of Lions' opponents' drives end in a score. That is eighth in the NFL. They're doing a pretty good job at keeping people from scoring. This is ultimate bend but don't break defense. Evidently, they're just having a lot of drives against them. If 44% is the best and they're still the worst or one of the best and they're still one of the worst scoring defenses in the league... That is part of complementary football, though. If, you're, if your offense isn't going anywhere and your defense is on the field all the time, they're probably going to give up a lot of points. But among the laundry list of bad things, Romeo Aquara, their edge rusher, is having a legitimately good year. He has seven sacks so far this year. That's almost a career high. His previous high is seven and a half. He has 15 quarterback hits. Uh, previous high was 14, and if the Packers... Need to watch out for one guy on the defensive front. It's probably him. So where are the Lions vulnerable then? Well, let's start with the pass defense and go from there. Run if they go light and you see light matchups in the front. It doesn't sound like Jeff Okuda is going to play their their dynamic rookie corner. So I think start with the pass and go from there. Devontae Adams is probably going to have another big statistical game. And maybe we get Alan Lazard and Marquez Valdez-Scantling a little bit more involved as well. Who should we know about on the Lions defense? Let's talk for a second about Everson Griffin. He was with the Cowboys, or not quite with the Cowboys, maybe, the last time the Lions played the Packers. He was in the process of deciding whether or not he wanted to be with anybody. So ultimately, he does sign with the Cowboys, uh, despite some interest from the Packers, and I think it, it would have been still a good move to pick him up because you could always use more guys on the defensive line. Uh, but he was traded to the Lions from the Cowboys in October for a sixth-round pick, and since then... He's had two and a half sacks, two tackles for loss, seven quarterback hits in five games. Nice little pickup. That's the kind of move that makes sense when you're giving up just a low-end draft pick. You fill out your roster's middle class with some quality vets and uh, and build around them. Let your stars be the stars, then have some deep quality players behind them. And that's, I think, what Everson Griffin is at this point in his career. And if you can get him for just a six-round pick, that's a good thing that, to do. Uh, if there was a comparable pickup for the Packers to make on offense, I think they should do it. And maybe that's somebody like Kenny Stills, still out there. Though with uh, what's going on with the Houston Texans connected performance-enhancing drug situation throughout the league, maybe they want to avoid that. Who knows? Uh, look into that a little bit, just uh, to see how many people connected to the Houston Texans and doctors related to the Houston Texans have been popped for performance-enhancing drug issues lately. I think it's at least seven. So check that out. Um, do a little Googling. In the in the stats that we keep track of, the Lions are not doing super hot. Production ratio is very top-heavy. Only three players at 0.7 or higher, and 0.7 is not a great number by any means. Uh, Romeo Aquara, of course, as we mentioned earlier, is the leader at 1.25. Everson Griffin at 0.9 in five games with the team is second. And then Trey Flowers, their high-priced free agent, 
at .71 rounds out their top three. Ballhawks, Lions have the same problem the Eagles did. They have nine guys with four or more Ballhawks. That's pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. But only four of them are defensive backs. So a lot of these numbers are being inflated by things like sacks and, well, sacks. Uh, Okwara is their leader in Ballhawks with 10. Jamie Collins, the linebacker, is at 10 as well. Pretty good for a linebacker, but again, you have the same issue there. Uh, some of his numbers get bolstered by sacks. Beyond that, you have Amani Oruwiare, whose name I'm sure I butchered. That's okay. He plays for the Lions. We're only going to have to say it once. Uh, he has seven on the season. Desmond Trufant has six, and Duran Harmon, the safety, has six as well. So not a lot of action getting their hands on the ball there for the Detroit Lions defense. What happened last time? Way back in week two. Remember when the Lions went up 14-3 to and then lost 42-21? to Yeah, you just hate to see it. You hate to see stuff like that. Uh, well, if you're a Lions fan, I guess. Without recapping the blow by bow, and I think we understand that the Packers really took care of business against the Lions, let's look at what didn't go well in that game and see if it's changed at all for the Packers. Did a recap pod after that game. So what were the three bad things that happened for the Packers in that one? First, they did not do a good job withstanding that first wave. And this has been a consistent feature of Pettin's defenses over his time in Green Bay. They do not come out of the gate very well. Lions came out doing pretty well, and the Packers gave in, and they got down 14-3 to as a result. That is still kind of an issue with Mike Pettin's defenses, but it's lessened a little bit. Still a roller coaster, but generally think they've been stable, more stable, wire-to-wire wire than they were uh, early in the season. Injuries were another sore spot in this game. There was a bunch of guys that were hurt either in this game or leading up to this game. Uh, Billy Turner was still injured at this point in the season. The Packers had lost Lane Taylor. Then Tyler Irvin got hurt during this game. They've withstood all of those injuries. Uh, It really hasn't been an issue. Uh, The Packers don't miss a beat with uh, Lucas Patrick coming in for Lane Taylor. Uh, Billy Turner, uh, they've weathered that storm as well. Rick Wagner's been pretty good in relief. And of course, when he's been out there, Billy Turner's been excellent. Tyler Irvin has really been the one probably that's hurt them the most here. And uh, that really hasn't been that big of an issue on offense and special teams. uh, Well, not so much you can do there. Uh, Wish he was out there and we'll probably get a look at Tavon Austin this week as a result. Drops were an issue in this game as well. Marquez Valdez-Scantling had a couple in this game, so did Jay Sternberger. I think the Packers still continue to struggle with drops, but they also seem to mitigate those drops a little bit better. And really, they have throughout the season. None of them have really crushed crushed them, though. Although, although right after halftime last week, that big drop by Marquez Valdez-Scantling did kind of wipe out that drive a little bit, any momentum that they would have had coming out of the half. Um, but generally speaking, they overcome their errors in the passing game pretty well. And it doesn't seem like outside of MVS, there are that many drops across the board. Also pointed out that AJ Dillon only saw the field in garbage time, which is a little bit weird and still in retrospect is, is a little bit odd, but there's really nothing a Packers can do about that over the last month or so with him falling victim to the, the coronavirus. Uh, He is now back off that list and uh, should be in position to at least uh, have a chance to play this weekend, and perhaps he will get to see the field outside of garbage time if and when he does. So what's going to happen in this game? I think the Packers are going to win. I just think there is such a narrow path to victory for the Lions that it barely merits talking about, so we're not really going to spend any time about how the Lions could beat the Packers. This is all in the Packers. Don't screw this up. Um... 
under Mike McCarthy, I would have penciled in a road game in Detroit with an interim head coach as an almost surefire loss. And we've talked about that before. It would have been a weird game, would have hinged on some weird special teams miscue. And unless Aaron Rodgers had a Herculean effort late in the game, they probably would have straight up lost. I don't think that's going to happen this time around. I think the Packers are in much better position to take care of teams that they should take care of, and the Lions certainly are one of those teams, and I think the Packers are going to do just that. A lot of you agree with me, too, as we look to the polling. 97.4% think the Packers are going to win. That is the second highest total uh, of the year. Last time the Packers played the Lions, only 94% of voters thought they were going to win. Mike Pettin's approval rating is all the way up to 1.9%. Uh, from 0% last week, so good for him. The overall approval rating for the team, though, went down. 94.6 last week heading into the Eagles game, just 88.4% approve of where the Packers are headed this week. My suspicion here is that we are seeing some regular season fatigue. It's not so much that people actually feel worse about the, the team than they did a week ago. They're just ready to get back to the real games again. And a peek behind the curtain here, this has been true... Uh, for for most seasons that we've done this show. Every year about early to mid-November till early to mid-December, podcast downloads start to dip a little bit. People get a little bit tired. People get busy doing other things during the holiday season. I think they just get a little bit distracted from football between weeks like, say, 10 and 13, 9 and 13. And I get that a little bit. You know the team really well by that point. Nothing is really going to surprise you about them, and the results are pretty much just did they win or did they lose. You're not getting to know the team at all. There's really nothing new out there for you. So you're ready for something new. You're ready for that playoff push. You're ready for playoff football. And we are in the midst of that playoff push now. We're in the final quarter of the season. We've got four games left starting this weekend in Detroit. Speaking of polling, one last thought I'll leave you with today. Funny Funny observation from Ted. So, Ted, thank you for writing in with this. Uh, I just wanted to pass along a funny headline news story he writes from the Packers website. I know you had talked about Hunter Bradley's potential departure from Green Bay, but how interesting would it be for a free agent long snapper to go to the Pro Bowl? Has that ever happened before? If Bradley does get cut by the Packers and he still makes the Pro Bowl, at least that might be an added boost to his NFL resume and his potential search for another team. Good observation, Ted, and this is kind of a funny thing that we can take a look at. First, I don't think that Hunter Bradley is actually going to get cut. I mentioned that at the end of the postgame podcast last week just because it appeared that he had a bad snap, and there have been a few bad snaps this year, and the Packers had worked out some long snappers. I really don't think they're going to make a change, but if they were, that'd be the time uh, because you want to have that integrated before the playoffs. But that would bring up the interesting situation that Ted points out, and I couldn't find in some cursory research, an example of a guy who had made the Pro Bowl but had been cut kind of in the interim. The quickest comp I can find is actually Andre Roberts of the Buffalo Bills. He made the Pro Bowl with the Bills in 2018 and 2019 and was headed for a third Pro Bowl season uh, coming into this year, but he was cut in training camp. But then, oddly enough, he was re-signed by the Bills and has played every game with them so far this year. So I'm not really entirely sure what was going on there, but I guess they just needed the roster flexibility. You do have a some sort of a an unusual comparison in the form of Jeff Saturday, the Packers, uh, the longtime Colts center, and then Packers center in 2011. He made the Pro Bowl in 2011, but he wasn't cut, but had basically been benched by the end of the season. Not even basically was benched by the end of the season. Basically made it to the Pro Bowl on scholarship, 
and the, the, he kind of had the odd scenario there of not even being a starter on his own team, but starting for the NFC in in the Pro Bowl. Odd, strange, whatever. Um, I don't think that's going to be what happens with uh, with Hunter Bradley. I would be interested to see what helmet he would wear in the Pro Bowl if and when he made that roster, but the Pro Bowl actually isn't really happening this year anyway, uh, so I guess we'll, we'll never know the answer. Of course, the pandemic would do that. Uh, gives us a really potential interesting situation if if something weird would happen where like a free agent player making the Pro Bowl, and then, of course, we would have it taken away from us by the pandemic. That is 2020 in a nutshell, is it not? Anyway, uh, I think the Packers are going to win this weekend. I hope you have a great time watching the game. I hope uh, hope we can all enjoy that together, and we will be back with you after the game to recap things right here on Blue 58. In the meantime, share this podcast if you enjoyed it with somebody you think might enjoy it as well. And we will continue to help everybody help each other all become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.